Good morning. The, uh, the month that we've been able to spend here with you together so far has given me a lot of time to consider what the first words would be that I would be able to share with you this morning. I had a, an idea that I had been going through in my head and ended up setting that aside. I'm going to share that with you in just a moment. But the one words or set of words that I kept coming back to all along over the last month or so as we have been welcomed into this congregation and as you have blessed us so very much even in just the time that we've been here already together so far just in the month of July and into August the set of words that I keep coming back to is simply thank you uh, that is sort of I prepared this obviously earlier earlier in the week but even before this morning it's the two words that just keep coming to mind over and over again uh, first of all, to our visitors this morning, if you are here, thank you for being here this morning. Um, we told them in the Bible class that we were in uh, that as the new minister's family, we were trying to get the gold star for the most visitors uh, that attended services today. So we filled up a couple pews uh, with those that might have felt forced to come, but they came anyways. Uh, and I won't take the time to introduce all of them. Some of them you already know, but we're thankful to all of our visitors that you are here this morning. And certainly to our members, thank you for everything that you have done so far for us. You have made us feel at home, uh, you have made us feel welcome, and we are just truly blessed. Thank you to the elders of this congregation, thank you to the members, thank you to the deacons, thank you to everyone that has accepted us and welcomed us so far, and we truly are thankful for the opportunity to be here with you, not only this day, but in the coming days, months, and years, hopefully as we continue to work together. Uh, one of the great challenges of a preacher is to learn if he can preach through the smell of green beans and potatoes coming through the walls over here. Uh, and so we're going to get that challenge right off the bat here out of the way. Uh, but thank you for that already. We're looking forward to that time and thank you uh, for that show of love. Uh, and everyone knows the way that the preacher's heart is through his stomach. And so absolutely we are thankful for that time that we will be able to spend together this morning. Uh, looking forward to so many great things. Uh, we try to tell each one of you, as Hannah and I have met you, that we may not remember you in a week or two, you know, your name, and we're trying to get all those down, but you've been patient for us, and we just are very thankful to be here with you and look forward to what lies before us. The other thing that I started off by, I, I thought I might want to say to start off our lesson and our time together this morning was, it's something that didn't sound quite as good, but it, it was the other thing that I kept coming back to besides thank you. Uh, I started to start off with the idea of my name is Joel Danley, and when I think about what I know, uh, the f one thing that comes to my mind is that I don't know it all, all right? I don't know it all, and if you've got your outline there, if you've got your bulletin, that's the first few blanks to fill in. I don't know it all, and you may think, well, I hope you don't think you know it all, and I certainly don't, but that's the other thing I kept coming back to over the last month or so as we've been working with you all. I feel like there is so much I have to learn, not only about life, not only about the Bible, not only about you, but as we work together, I don't know it all. I think about, of course, the example of Titus chapter 2. Uh, I did not put a whole lot of verses in the outline for this morning. We're going to look at some, and you may want to jot those down if you like to take notes. I think about the example in Titus chapter 2 of the young and the old working together. I think about the example there of the older folks teaching the younger folks. I think about the idea that the great relationship of those working together, that we strengthen each other 
And we prevent each other from speaking against the word of God. Prevent others, excuse me, from speaking against the word of God. That's the benefit of that relationship. And when I keep coming back to the idea of I don't know it all, that's exactly the way I feel. I feel like I have so much to learn from you. I don't stand before you as the master teacher or any person that has it all figured out. But I stand before you as someone who wants to learn from you. I don't know it all. But as I thought about that as well, I thought about the fact that there are a few things that I do know. And I would like to share just a couple of those with you this morning. Again, the outline might be, is in front of you if you've got your bulletin in front of you and you want to make notes there as we go along together. And today, this morning, one of the first things that I know, this just continues to flash that I don't know it all. <laughs> don't think that was the way that was supposed to work. There we go. There is more to the lesson besides that, I promise. Number one, our task is great. Our task together is great. And, of course, as we're going to make mention of in just a moment, all of these points are somewhat speaking to you as the new minister working with the congregation, but it is true as well of all Christians. Our task together is great. It isn't easy. It isn't for the faint of heart as we think about that. In fact, when we think about the fact that our task is great and the greatness of it, it has to do with the fact that it is, there in your outline continuing on, a matter of life and death. A matter of life and death as we think about how important that is. If you've got your Bible, you might go over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. When Jesus is continuing and and finishing up, as it's recorded for us, the Sermon on the Mount here, he says in Matthew chapter 7 in verse 12, and if you've got your bulletin open there in front of you, you get a sneak peek at the lesson for tonight uh, with the golden rule. But for our purposes this morning, we look at verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. When we think about this task being a matter of life and death, Jesus says, and the Bible says, not only in this particular spot, but in so many places, that it is a matter of life and death. It is a great task. And there are only two choices when we think about the way that we can live and we think about our eternal uh, place that we end up, it will either be one of two places, one of two choices. And he makes the point here that it is a matter of life and death. It is not easy, the task that we are faced with. It isn't for the faint of heart. Think about 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul reminds Timothy, Yea, and all that would live godly or will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I'm going to reference a few times this morning the day that we had yesterday at the Greens Lake Road Youth Day, youth lectureships that they had yesterday. Several of us were able to able to attend that, and there were so many encouraging lessons, and I was continuing to, to study last night. They just kept coming to my mind over and over again, but several of the speakers yesterday pointed out the fact that if you are not suffering persecution, then you're doing it wrong. If you're not suffering persecution, because Paul makes the point that we will suffer persecution, then maybe we're a little too at ease in the world. And maybe we're not doing it the right way because we're not standing out enough. So it's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. And of course, that's because of our adversary. 
It's because our adversary. That's why in, in Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul is talking about the whole armor of God, Paul discusses the fiery darts. The fiery darts that would be aimed in our direction. Nobody likes to be under attack, but our adversary, is exact, that's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to attempt to attack us. That's why Peter, in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, describes him as that stalker of a lion. That one who would seek to devour his prey. Our task is great because of our adversary. Because of what we are doing is a matter of life and death. It is a great task. It's the most important undertaking, undertaking that a human being can commit to here upon this earth. It's the greatest thing that we can commit to. There are a lot of other causes that we sometimes take up here in this life, and those are great. People that we reach out to and we try to help, even the commitment of a marriage is what I would consider to be the second most important decision you can make because the first most important commitment is to accept Jesus, to be obedient to what he's told us to do, to be a follower of Christ and a child of God. It is a great task. But not only is it a great task, it's our task. And that is supposed to be capitalized there. It is our task together. As we think about what lies before us, not only in the days and weeks and months and years of the congregation here, but as we work together and we think about our life, it is our task to get to. We cannot rely upon somebody else. We cannot pass the buck. We can't even give enough money if you've got enough money to give. You can't even give enough money to have somebody take your place and do the work for you. It is our task as we seek to work together. And I've got another statement to make here that seems maybe one that you think might be obvious, but I want to say it this morning. I am not the leader. And some of you say, well, obviously, why would you even think that? But if you look around you and you think about others that you know of, is that not the way that the world sometimes treats the preacher or the minister or whatever they want to call him? That's exactly the way that some people look at the guy who stands up in the pulpit every Sunday and who puts on the suit. The good news, or maybe it's the bad news for you all, but I just get to be the pretty face of the congregation, right? Or the voice of the congregation. Because that's true. I may be the one that stands up here more often than others. I may be the one that more often has the most time to speak from week to week. I will be the one that as I go to various places and speak on lectureships or youth days or whatever, will carry the name of the Saudi congregation proudly. I will be the person to do those things. I'm not the leader of this congregation. I appreciate Brian's prayer so much already as he talked about the elders being the shepherds. That's the word that I like to use. Because the elders are to shepherd. If you've got your Bible, you look, might look in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. Because when Peter is talking about exhorting the elders here, and the elders shepherding the flock, he says, Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. And he continues on, and we'll stop right there. There are some other biblical names that we sometimes refer to our elders, the leaders of the congregation as. But we get caught up in elder, maybe as a tradition, or that's what we've always used, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I so love the word shepherd. I'm not here to be the leader, the know-it-all. Again, that's where that came from at the very beginning. I'm not here to be the one that's got it all figured out. I'm here to be the minister, to serve with you and work with you and learn from you and these great men who I do want to lead us. 
When I sat down with them, I sat down with them a couple of times before we kind of finalized everything or including as we did, and that was one thing that came up. And I said to them, and they said it back to me, and we agreed. I'm not here to be the one that has it all figured out. You know, I saw even this week, some of you may have noticed in the news that the Pope had changed his mind or changed the church's mind, as they would call it, on the death penalty or whatever. Uh, I'm not here to make that kind of decision to be the one that makes all those decisions. I am here to lean upon the elders of this congregation. And you have some good ones, and we look forward to working together. Look in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. In Acts chapter 20, as Paul is going around and going about doing so many great and wonderful things, he has to call the Ephesian elders and say, let's, let's get together. I can't make it back to you, but let's get together. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, the same imagery or words are used as Peter said, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. This is our task. Each person here, each member here this morning, it's our task to work together as a group with the elders, with the deacons, with the Bible class teachers, with those who will sweep the floor in a little while, with anybody who will do anything and put some effort into being a member of the Lord's Church here at Saudi, as we work together, it's a great task, and it is our task. Which leads us to the second point this morning, and that is that I firmly believe that this congregation is limitless. Heath was giving me some encouragement at the end of class this morning as we were splitting up. I told him I'm not too nervous this morning because we've been here. We've been here for a month already. We've been with you and among you and doing the things that we could do and being at places. If I, Hannah and I were talking about it last night. If I had to walk up in this pulpit this morning for the first time since we had tried out, I think my knees would have been knocking and I might need to sit down for a few minutes. But we've been with you. We've been a part of you. We have witnessed you doing all these things together. And as has already been said, again, from this pulpit this morning, as we think about this song, Where No One Stands Alone, has to do with not standing alone because God, the Father, and Jesus, the Son, are always with us. But I firmly believe that Christianity isn't a solo sport. Christianity is not a solo sport. Now, yes, we think about 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. We must, each one, stand before God in our own judgment. We must each one give account. Again, I can't stand for you. You can't stand for me. You can't give enough money to somebody else. We must each one stand before God in our own judgment. But getting to that point, getting to the day of judgment, you may have heard the phrase before, it takes a village. It takes a village. We talk about that with our children many times, but it takes a village of people as we work here together. We need each other. I know we'll get to a sermon on church attendance sooner or later, but as Brother Jerry had led us in a great discussion a couple of weeks ago here in one of the adult classes, when, church, when it comes to church attendance, part of the reason you should be here is because I need you here, and you need me here, and we need each other. This congregation has the opportunity to be limitless when we work together. Perhaps you've heard this phrase before. I can think of many a coach who put this before us as he's trying to encourage his team to be together. The idea of the acrostic, or however you want to use it there, but together, everyone achieves more. And the coach says that, and everybody rolls their eyes and says, oh, that's corny, that doesn't mean anything. But yes, together, everyone achieves more. 
It is kind of corny, but as well it is kind of true. When we work together, there's nothing that can stand in our way. We can be limitless in all that we can accomplish. If you've got your Bible, look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I am going to steal for a few moments here from the words that we heard yesterday. We actually had two of the different speakers, Brother Cliff Goodwin and Brother Eric Gardner from here in the Avondale congregation. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 here, including verse 7. And Brother Eric Garner did a, a fantastic job of reminding us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And he pointed out the fact that the word for power there, the Greek word is w- which we der- derive our word from for dynamite, the transformation that takes place with that power of dynamite. We don't have to be fearful. We have an opportunity to be powerful together. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And yes, we look around us and there's marches and there's protests and there's the news. And there's so many things that make us feel small and small in number and that we need to stay back. But when we think about the spirit that God has given us, it's one of dynamite. It's one of power. We don't have to fear. What should we fear? What can we accomplish together as a body of Christians working together as one? What can we accomplish together as a body of Christians working together as one with God helping us? I've seen you in action already. You know, we we came on that Friday night, your last night of vacation Bible school, and watched the power take place right here in front of me now as I stand with a bunch of young people, children sitting here together learning about God. We watched it as we had the opportunity to show up on the 4th of July and Harrison's running around like a chicken with his head cut off, handing out water and handing out tracts and everybody working together to minister to the people who would come to this parking lot simply to watch a bunch of fireworks. I watched you together as I saw the group that got to go to Monterey and show up there and spend a Friday, some of you, and Saturday driving, being away from home, but helping reach out to those who need something even physically within the chance to try to help them out spiritually. And I know there are so many other things that will happen in the coming months and years as we work together that shows that we can reach out to those who are lost, that we can reach out to those who are lost and each other as we seek to do the Lord's work. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Acts again, this time Acts chapter 4. Heath, I'll confess as well, I do not have this down, but I'll steal it from your Bible class. But as we talked about Barnabas this morning, in Acts chapter 4 and verses 32 through 37, it fit right in with a couple of the other passages I'd already picked out because we see, look in verse 32, that the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And you can see on down through there the familiar passage of what they were doing, how they were working together. And even verse 33 gives that same idea and with great power the apostles were able to work the apostles were able to do things why well god's with them the holy spirit was with them but why because others were helping them and they were working together turn over to acts chapter 17 for a moment we could have spent all day or at least this point here in the book of acts but acts chapter 17 in verses 1 through 9 all the great things that are continuing to be mentioned by luke here that are taking place Specifically, verses 5 through 9, we meet a guy named Jason. And those who are seeking to attack the church and the Christians are looking for some folks to, to rough up, to throw in prison, to assault, if you will. And when they can't find the apostles, 
They'll, they'll take Jason in his household. And when you think about it there, and when you look at the words that are used there in verse 6, they drag Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. I've always loved that phrase. Who, who is he talking about? Who are they talking about? They're talking about those who are doing the work of God. How are they known? Are they known as vigilantes? Are they known as criminals? Are they known as, what are they known as? Maybe those things were included in that, but they're known as those people who are doing so much that they're turning the world upside down. And one more passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. Because when Paul is writing about these folks that he is in trying to encourage, he says in verse 8, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. What's he pointing out here? He's pointing out that to some extent... I don't have to worry too much about you guys. You may need to be encouraged. There may be some folks who need to be encouraged maybe aren't doing the right thing. But your example, the word of the Lord is going forth from you. Can the same thing be said about us here? Who or what can stop us? And again, I would take a moment and mention here that this morning, in our context, yes, I'm speaking a little as the new minister working here with this congregation. But if you're visiting with us this morning... Anybody can take a part of this. Anybody can be a part of the good news of Jesus Christ. And everyone here, whether you're here visiting or a member, can be great when we're on God's side and we're working together. I may be a little selfish this morning in trying to encourage our good folks here, but certainly anyone and everyone can work together to achieve more. Number three, and finally this morning, I know that we must keep the main thing the main thing. Now, when I look back to my days at Freed Hardeman and the summers I spent, I, I was able to intern with several congregations and doing youth ministry work. And one of the congregations I showed up at, they had just put a bunch of shirts out for their kids, and, and they had purchased them and put some of their pictures on the back. But one of the things that they said was that we must keep the main thing the main thing. And if you've got your Bible, we'll look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Again, there's so much contained in the Sermon on the Mount there, but this passage has always been comforting when we think about what we should be doing. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. In our life, we must keep the main thing, the main thing, priorities. It happens. We do it in our life every single day. You may not wake up and make a list. You may not wake up in the morning and think about, I'm going to write down and think about all my priorities. But what you do shows what's a priority to you. Are you at services? Are you at the events that we have? Are you studying your Bible? Are you visiting someone? What are you doing in your daily life? Sure, we've got to go to work. Sure, we have things that we have to accomplish. The grass has got to be mowed. There's things around the house that got to be done. But what is your priority? Are you keeping the main thing, the main thing, and remembering God? distractions abound in our life there's no doubt about it a lot of us carry it with us even every single moment of the day there's a distraction in front of us 
Work sometimes gets in the way. Family members sometimes get in the way. Sports sometimes get in the way. Facebook or social media sometimes get in the way. Our pride sometimes gets in the way. Our stubbornness sometimes gets in the way of us keeping the main thing the main thing. We make certain things in our life a priority. And it's up to us to determine and to make it a point every day to think about God, to study his word, to pray to him, and to think about how we can impact and improve not only our own life, not only the congregation here at Saudi, the folks that meet here, but everyone that we come in contact with. Can we keep our focus? You know, I'm thankful to you all because you've allowed me to be here and to work here. It's going to allow me to quit my job and work here full time. But as I look around the room, I can tell you I've been there. I understand. A lot of you that have the job and the work that you have to go to, I've been there. And it's tough sometimes to keep the main thing the main thing. But as we've sung even this morning, the idea of where no one stands alone, I think about one of the other great songs that we sometimes sing, Heaven Will Surely Be Worth It All. When we keep the main thing the main thing, what we have to keep in mind is that heaven will surely be worth it all. If you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 16. And verses 24 through 26. Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Jesus is talking about the commitment. The commitment that it takes. The commitment that is hard for us sometimes when we want to to do things that make us happy or take up our time. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then verses, verse 26, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? There's so much that we can accomplish here. Some folks work very hard to have buildings named after them. Some folks work really hard to make enough money, to have enough zeros at the end of their bank account that it makes them somewhat comfortable and happy here upon this earth. But what would we give in exchange for our soul? What would we gain if we have all of that? If we've got all the comforts and luxuries of this world, but we lose our own soul? Heaven will be worth it all. That's hard for us to grasp sometimes, I think. Most recently in one of the Bible classes that I taught, I had the opportunity to teach on heaven. And we went through about a 13-week study on heaven. That was very encouraging because I think a lot of times we put it in the back of our mind because it's not here. We, we don't quite understand it. We, it's something that some folks discuss or debate what will be happening there or people have their own ideas. Even this week we were discussing with my father-in-law. Some of you may have heard there's a, a country song out even recently about the outskirts of heaven. I just want to be on the outskirts of heaven where I can do all these things that make me happy. Okay, there's a lot of confusion sometimes about heaven, and we allow that to kind of cloud our judgment and get in the way, and we kind of set it aside and we forget about the main thing, that we need to keep the main thing. This morning, I want to encourage you to remember that our goal all along, whether we are doing events together, whether we're working together, whether we're having fun together, whether we're eating together, whatever it is that we do, the main thing is that we get to heaven. And again, as we went back to a moment ago, it is only up to each one of us to get there because we have to stand before God in judgment. But it is up to us as we work together to encourage each other. And may we as a congregation keep the main thing, the main thing, because we all want to be in heaven together. 
but it's going to take working at this great task that we've already talked about this morning. If you want to, you can close your Bibles maybe and set them aside. As we conclude this lesson, we're going to do something that we always do because it's convenient and because hopefully you've been somewhat encouraged by the words that we've sung this morning, the prayers that have been prayed this morning, and by the words that we've looked at from God's Word this morning. I go back to the beginning. I don't know it all, but I do know a few things. I know that God sent His only begotten Son, as Jesus talks about in John chapter 3 and verse 16. I know that that same Son, Jesus, lived, He died, He was buried, but He rose again. Apostle Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 1 through 4. That's what the gospel is, that's what the good news is. Jesus didn't just die. He rose again. But Paul says it as well in Romans chapter 6, there at the very beginning of the chapter, about the fact that we have an opportunity to partake in the same thing. We can follow that same pattern. We can be buried, and we can rise again to walk in newness of life. And I know that we can go through those same sequence of events that Jesus did. I know that this morning, if a person wants to become a Christian, wants to be a saved state, they must hear the word of God. They must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We know that if we do not believe that He is the Son of God, we will die in our sins. You must repent. Make that turn away from sins and back towards God. As Jesus says basically in Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, repent or perish. We must confess before man, before men, that Jesus is the Son of God. As Jesus, uh, of all the things He said, and all of it's important and all of it's great to live by, but as he says so importantly in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32, that whoever will confess me before men, I will confess before my Father. What a great promise that he makes there. If you're here this morning and you're willing to do all of those things, I know that if a person would be obedient to God, even up to the point of following his command to be immersed in water for the remission of sins, for the purpose of forgiveness of your sins, then he will add you to his church, the church that belongs to Christ. But I also know this morning that I'm thankful that God didn't just stop there. He didn't make it a one-time proposition. That's great if you're baptized, but if you mess up, you're, you're done. You're dead. It's over. It's too late. That's not the way that God in his infinite wisdom set it up. He instituted what we sometimes call his second law of pardon. That if we once become a Christian and turn away from him, we can turn back to him. We can repent of our sins and pray for forgiveness. And God is faithful to do just that. Forgive us that we can again walk in the light as he is in the light. This morning, we're gathered together to praise God and to worship him. We're also gathered together as a body to encourage each other. And that's what we're about to do, to encourage you that whether you need to become a Christian or whether you need to come back to him or maybe you need the prayers of this congregation, we'd gladly assist you even now as we stand together and as we sing.